If you're a cannabis business owner looking to expand into new markets and need guidance and support you can trust, consider Collateral Base, a group that has done it before in multiple merit-based and limited market states. Collateral Base was founded by an experienced cannabis attorney with highly educated consultants with master's degrees and years of experience in the cannabis industry. The Collateral Base team is confident they know cannabis licensing better than any of their peers. And I encourage you to see for yourself. It just takes one phone call. If you're ready to expand your cannabis business into new limited markets, contact Collateral Base today at 309-306-1095. That's 309-306-1095. Or visit collateralbase.com. This is Everything is Personal with Len May. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to another episode of Everything is Personal. Personal, personal, yeah. personal. This is our first show of uh, the new year. And as always, Mr. John Small, welcome. Hi, everybody. And it's so great to be here with you. <laughs> That's a new one. <laughs> That's a new one. I've got it's I, better I've really, than BC, I've right? Gotta, I've got to improve my, my, voice, my uh, sound. <laughs> it's, it's starting to seem like a morning radio show here at... Uh, Everything's personal. Like anyway, uh, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. And our guest probably thinks we're absolutely crazy. We haven't even introduced him yeah. yet. We're already off the rails. I'm just <laughs> super excited today, I got to say, because we have rock stars. Like we have musicians, we have uh, real rock stars on the show. But today, I'm super excited because we have a personal mentor, hero, rock star of the cannabis industry with us. So I want to just introduce Dr. Ethan Russo. Thank you so much for joining us. I just want to say one thing. I think it was in Portland. I was speaking at a conference. Ethan was uh, the first speaker. I had to follow him, which was very, very difficult Tough to act. do. Yeah, follow Ethan is, uh, is very difficult. But there's a thing that Ethan said. Maybe it wasn't even on that conference, but there was one that he said, and I want to reiterate this to our listeners, the reference to the word strain. And I love this uh, this reference because Ethan was so serious when he studied. He's like, why do we keep referring to cannabis as a strain? Because a strain refers to a virus. Why are we calling this amazing therapeutic plant a strain when it shouldn't be called a strain? Hmm. Call it, called more a cumulus. Such a good so, point. Words are yeah, important. Yeah. So welcome, Ethan. Well, I should start there by uh, saying uh, technically plants don't have strains. That applies to uh, bacteria and viruses. Uh, so we prefer the term chemovar, which is short right. for chemical variety. And I like that in particular because it highlights the heterogeneity, the differences chemically in different types of cannabis. Really, for anyone who's partaken, whether so-called recreationally or for therapeutic purposes, they understand that there are distinct differences between one type of cannabis and another. And it doesn't just relate to the concentration of THC, but rather the panoply of the different ingredients that it contains. Ethan, can you give us, for those who, who might not be familiar with us, would you mind giving us a sort of short elevator pitch of who you are and your, and your accomplishments? Yeah. Sure. So I'm a board certified uh, child and, and adult neurologist. I was in neurology practice in Missoula, Montana for 20 years up to 2003. 
But along the way, I really got deeply involved in medicinal plants. And circa 1996, when Prop 215 uh, was happening in California, I really got enmeshed in the cannabis controversy. Basically, that led to a lot of reading, um, beginning to publish and uh, start a new journal. Uh, I was asked to uh, join as a scientific advisor, GW Pharmaceuticals in 1998, the year they started. Uh, and they were the company that was first to develop pharmaceutical forms of cannabis, specifically Sativex and Epidiolex. And I was with them full time between 2003 and 2014, working on the clinical trials and also basic science studies related to THC, CBD, and specifically Sativex and Epidiolex. Subsequently, I've been with some private companies culminating earlier this year in starting our own company called Credo Science, Mm -hmm. uh, which is dedicated to a couple of different things. First, uh, developing intellectual property related to cannabis, particularly non-THC applications and the endocannabinoid system. Uh, And additionally, uh, we've begun offering consultation work specifically for formulation services, uh, whether it be for supplement companies or the pharmaceutical industry. Um, One of the things that I would maintain about cannabis is uh, so far, most of the studies have been done with materials that I would say weren't optimized, meaning they could have been better than what they were in terms of the composition, which would in turn lead to uh, hopefully better efficacy for whatever they were treating and also reduce side effect profiles. Just to disclose, uh, we're also working on a study together with uh, Credo and Ethan and some other people. So I just wanted to make sure that in full disclosure, that's uh, so we do have a business relationship in addition to, I would call Ethan a mentor and I think a friend. I'm not sure if he sure. Uh, if he thinks that, but I think that. <laughs> well, definitely. You seem like Thank friends. You. Yes. we And we've also paid him a boatload of money to appear on this yeah. podcast today. Yeah, Full disclosure. Full disclosure. Yeah. Thank you. I wish Thank that part would <laughs> Yeah. So everybody, everybody just listen. When you invite Ethan on your podcast you or him. your talk make sure that you pay him a lot of money <laughs> yeah he's Get very out. expensive i <laughs> exactly. yeah uh, i would appreciate that even though it's not uh, quite the case <laughs> before i jump into a regular series of questions I want to kind of get your thoughts. I, I usually don't do this with guests. We usually just go through questions, but because I have some of your time here, I thought I, I'd ask you this election that happened and there was a, an election in Georgia. So now we have a shift in the Senate and uh, all these things are, are happening in terms of legalities of cannabis uh, possibly. So if you had a crystal ball and you were looking at it for the next year or maybe even next a few years with uh, this uh, Biden administration getting power, what do you think is going to happen with uh, the cannabis in- industry in terms of uh, legalities? Sure. Well, it's a very topical question, change in uh, leadership in in the Senate in particular. Um, there really is the opportunity for positive change now to an extent that we haven't seen in decades. I had always thought that when we got to 30 states that legalized, whether medically or uh, adult use, that the feds would have to do something, but that didn't eventuate either. Mm, right. um, you know, I, 
Joe Biden is a decent guy. He has evolved on so many issues, and I think he has the capability of evolving on cannabis. And I'm really hoping that Kamala Harris will have a lot of influence on this issue. Mm -hmm. Also, it seems that Merrick Garland is going to be the attorney general. Mm -hmm. He, if he wishes, has the ability to finally deschedule cannabis and correct the historical and legal aberration of the Schedule One status of uh, cannabis that's been present now for 50 years. Right. Um, so I'm cautiously optimistic. There's so many other important items on the agenda. We'll just have to see. But I figure that the next two years really represent an opportunity that may not come again uh, for God knows how long. I'm old enough to remember how close we were to cannabis legalization in the 70s. Yeah. And then that went totally to hell, if I can say that word in this context. You can you can say anything you want. <laughs> yeah, I forgot to beep it out. I'll beep it out. Yeah, um, yeah. Things I, I think you should curse. I think you should definitely curse. It's more fun. That well, way. that's a yeah. That it's kind of like the way psychedelics, you know, were sort of yeah. in vogue for a minute until the dark side happened. And I'm hoping it feel. I, I do feel like we have momentum at our backs, even though the Capitol was stormed by an angry mob. It does feel like there's a positive momentum in the country, uh, particularly for for legalization, and and we'll see. There are there are so many other issues that we need to deal with. Certainly, the yeah. states are getting on board. I mean, I just read today that Cuomo sure. is they're ramping up. I mean, New York yeah. is is next in line. So yep. we're going to get there some way or another. The question is: Is it deschedule or is it reschedule? So this is scheduling is not going to give us what we need. Right. People That's, have talked for a long time about putting cannabis and schedule two right schedule two presupposes that there is an fda approved preparation right so if that were to happen it would make research on cannabis marginally easier but not much right. uh, it really doesn't fit it doesn't belong there on uh, we need another scheme that would yeah. regulate cannabis somewhat like alcohol is right. now completely agreed yes. yeah I mean, it's the only system that could work. There have been these roadblocks to research, let alone roadblocks to personal access. And I feel sorry for anybody at this point that thinks that people who use cannabis need to be incarcerated. That's a medieval attitude. Historically on this planet, uh, there have been prohibitions to innumerable substances. None have worked, and they've all been vastly counterproductive. Completely, completely concur. It has to be treated like alcohol prohibition. Just lift it and don't deschedule it. Don't reschedule it. Just lift it and let the states decide. Because if you're in a state that like uh, I was, uh, I lived in Pennsylvania. So Pennsylvania has a program where alcohol is sold through state stores. That's what they choose to do, but they regulate it. So states need to regulate it. And we need to have this interstate commerce, banking, and research. Once we do all that, now it becomes you know a real regulated product. Because it's not about not having regulations in place, it's about having absolutely having regulations in place. And this is gets us out of the dark ages into a real therapeutic uh, you know, uh, product. So, I, so I, people I, have to understand at this point, if you want a drug to be dangerous, the best thing you can do is make it illegal because then there are no controls. Hmm. What we're talking about with legalization provides the ability to control and regulate in a way that you have a product that 
will not only be more effective, but safer. And similarly, legalization makes it harder, not easier, for kids to get it, minors. This is really the answer, and hopefully it's one of those situations where the public has come around uh, quite a long time ago. Uh, It's taken much, much longer for the politicians, but the chief obstructionist um, is uh, not going to be in charge of the agenda. That should help a great deal. No, I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic. We've got Jeff Sessions out of the way. He was a disaster oh, yeah. for marijuana. <laughs> and Trump, who was really just an opportunist, he probably would have voted either way. Whatever, whatever would have helped him. If he thought he would win the election, he <laughs> yeah. would be like, I don't think he gives legal. I don't, I don't care. Gave, I, mean, I don't think he had any moral objection. Call. I think, what do you no. think the biggest obstacle is, you know, uh, in your experience right now? Is it, is it the stigma that just the miseducation and the stigma around cannabis? No, I, it's simple. I think they're taking a medical and scientific issue and trying to assign a moral value to it. And that never works. People think they should deal with their own morality. If they don't like something, don't do it. It's simple. And this applies to a lot of other things beyond uh, drug use. You know, unless something clearly is dangerous in a way that it kills people. And I don't think that uh, it should be subject to the, the kind of over-control that we've seen applied to uh, illicit, so-called illicit yeah. drugs. There is probably some uh, lobbying efforts that are going on from, you know, big pharma, et cetera, and they've been for a long time. And uh, Ethan, you know better than, than both of us because you were part of that. I think GW showed big pharma a way that they can utilize the plant and actually produce medicines that are targeted medicines instead of making these synthetic Marinol type of uh, drugs. So I think that's also loosening the reins a little bit. But they've been slow learners in that regard. Very slow. Specifically, there are two problems there. First, the drug companies are still oriented towards the idea that we need intellectual property, meaning a patent which can only come from a synthetic molecule that we computer designed Mm. to work on this receptor with the highest affinity and the highest potency. And they'll worry about later when they find out uh, how toxic it is. Mm, Right. They still don't get the idea of botanical medicine. They think that they can't patent it whereas they can if it's a specific preparation for a specific use that can have attached intellectual property and patents. So that's one problem. Uh, The other is a lot of them have had programs in the past on cannabinoids and have gotten burned, if I may use that expression, because um, their products didn't work or were toxic, or again, they were relying on the single molecular theory of treatment rather than realizing that botanical medicines work with a bunch of different agents in concert producing synergy, a boosting of effect, or what we call the entourage effect, which is the idea that you've got soloists like THC or CBD, whose benefits are enhanced by additional components, Mm. uh, some of which might not seem to do too much on their own, but really add to the mix in a substantial way. Right. You know, you have the complexities of the plant, and then you have the complexity of the individual that has their own genetic predispositions. You're giving somebody something that's identical. Uh, you know, we talked about this in the program, uh, John, a bunch of times. Two people take the same thing and have a different experience with that. So, I, sure. I, um, 
this has been fascinating for me. I'm learning a ton right here. I'm, not, I'm, I'm shutting up. I'm not, this is like, <laughs> I'm not sure if people giving me like five story ideas for, for, uh, I know, right? Yeah. Uh, let's get into the fun stuff. And <laughs> by the way, if, uh, if there is something, Ethan, that you don't feel comfortable answering, uh, just answer it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> or plead the fifth, uh, plead the fifth. Uh, first question is, please describe your first experience with cannabis. Well, uh, there are different ways to approach this. In 1970, I was behind the curve, I found, uh, with my friends. And I spent most of the summer uh, trying to get high. And I was a slow learner in that regard because it took me seven tries. <laughs> um, and the only re I've never told this story publicly, but my parents have both passed away. Um, so I think I can at this point. You're, you're okay. You're not going to get grounded. Right. <laughs> my brother had gone to Stanford to summer school that summer and came home with a couple of ounces of Acapulco gold. And we're talking about the real stuff. Mm. Uh, then we went up in the spare room and we were well into the second joint. He was wildly high uh, and I still wasn't getting off, but he had me hyperventilate. And <laughs> when I came out of it, uh, the density of the wall was changing. And uh, I think I said, oh, wow. And my life was forever changed thereafter. Um, in a good so I, way. Well, I mean, it was a landmark night. Yeah, I discovered right. the munchies. I also <laughs> um, had loved the album Surrealistic Pillow by the Jefferson Airplane, wow. but had never understood the lyrics until that night. Uh, very great change in my life. That's great. So you would say that it was a, a pot. You didn't have an adverse experience. You had a positive. Uh, oh, yeah, absolutely. And Acapulco Gold, would you say, you know, maybe under 10% THC at that, at that time? I suspect it was. I mean, yeah. you know, at that time, most uh, cannabis was seeded. And yeah. um, we know immediately that cuts the cannabinoid content about in half. Um, so this would have been considered killer weed at the time. but. Right. We should really make a distinction. It is true to say that cannabis is a lot stronger on average now, mm -hmm. but even in 1970, there was really high quality, potent cannabis available. Plus the experience was much more varied than is mm -hmm. available today. For better or worse, mostly worse, I would say, uh, what we have in the market now is predominantly high THC, high mercine varieties, which are yeah. great for couch lock, mm -hmm. uh, but a very different experience compared to the heterogeneous types of cannabis that were available from the old land races. Yeah, great. Um, before selective breeding and prohibition caused the changes uh, that we see today. Completely agreed. I mean, my, my favorite was like a real true Durban at that time. And the, the, the real Durban poison, which I, I think I got to experience when I was in South Africa, but I'm not sure if it's even a land race anymore because everything is so interbred. Yeah, very likely. And this has been the trend. So almost anywhere in the world that you go in the can traditional cannabis growing areas, um, the land races have been supplanted by seeds from California and the Netherlands. Right. So it's been a homogenization, actually, yep. uh, along with a selective breeding for potency. But, um, you know, my personal bias is we need to find the old land races and reintroduce some of the value that they had, both in terms of uh, 
different experiences, different profiles, and also disease resistance and other good things. Well, you kind of uh, already touched on this. Uh, but uh, John and I are both music guys, and we were talking earlier, you're a music guy too. Uh, you mentioned Jefferson Airplane, but during consumption, is there a go-to music? Do you like a genre? What's your go-to in terms of music? What do you like to listen uh, to? Well, I really have very eclectic tastes in music, so mm-hmm. it could be anything. Uh, what will be some examples uh, of that? Well, you know, I was very attached to the psychedelic rock of uh, San Francisco from the yeah. 60s and 70s. Um, so but the dead? Know, the dead? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I had nine live shows under my belt. Um, nice. Yeah, definitely. But uh, also singer songwriters, blues, uh, reggae, yeah. almost everything. I'm not an opera buff. Yeah. Um, here, here. Can you can you educate John a little bit on the blues? He seems to be not a blues guy, and I'm trying to. Well, I'm it's, trying, I, it's getting better. I, I, you're, I'm you're trying. Slowly, I'm chiseling away at this. I, is I, like I like the things about staple. it. It just isn't my go-to if I'm if I just want to listen to music. I'm not going to be like. Oh, sure, but I mean, this is real American roots music. Yeah, I get it. I get. I appreciate it. I mean, without the blues, we wouldn't have rock and roll. We wouldn't have hip hop. Yeah. We wouldn't have any, all the music that I love. I just right. sometimes going back to the roots. Is not always my favorite. There, there's so iteration much of it. Blues. There's just so much. You can't. It's blues is not like a broad brush. If you look at all these bands that came out of it, there's so many different varieties of blues. But I'll keep. I'll keep. You know. Yeah, you should try. You're also gonna have I'll to. Even, you know, we haven't talked about, it, but you're also gonna have to turn me on funk because oh, my son. Oh, we'll have a whole. My mm. son has been trying to get me into funk, and it's like, listen, nobody likes hip hop more than I. I love hip hop music, so I yeah. get where funk came from and what the. And I love stuff that has been sampled in the like funk. That. I mean, doesn't James James Brown? James yeah, Brown. But I don't think of James Brown as funk. I think of him as soul. And I think of funk as like no. George Clinton and like Parliament. That's P funk. That's different. Maybe that's, that's different. different. I don't know. <laughs> so we probably should define what funk is. But to me, funk is that stuff that kind of came out in the, the kind of early seventies. I love. 70s. I love this. We will. We okay. will have a whole funk because you know. I'm- Huge, huge funk. Okay, uh, I mean James I Brown. I forget of- about it. I like. I mean, I just let's can I go on the record just saying that I absolutely worship James Brown. I actually went down a rabbit hole the other day where I was on YouTube and I just started watching old James Brown concert footage from when he was on Italian um, television shows in the in the late sixties. It's like some of the greatest yeah. things I've ever seen. In my, it's like the greatest. I have to. We have to link to the video and, and, and it's incredible. Um, okay. I'm sorry. So I went on James Brown tangent. <laughs> All right. So we got music down. All right. Uh, third question is what has cannabis meant in your life? Well, uh, cannabis has been very good to me. People probably think I'm high all the time. Nothing could be further from the truth. (laughs) You know, I am an extremely rare user, usually because I'm treating something. Um, but part of that is because of the changes we discussed, you know, I, I think, uh, in the past it was a lot more enjoyable. Um, yeah. Is that attainable again? Yes, um, but we need serious work on uh, the composition. That's a that's uh, that is yeah. a market worth exploring because I'm with you. Absolutely. Uh, that I I find the stuff most of the stuff that's out there way too strong, and I can't. I mean, you can't yeah. function with it, and I don't yeah. want couch lock. I want to be able to work and focus, and I know that you guys are working on this, so I'm excited. You haven't asked this, but let me pose my own question, which okay. is. Uh, you know, what did I like to do when I was high? Yeah. Well, the greatest thing was um, going out and communing with nature. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, that's my favorite thing to do. Hiking <laughs> while I have to. I'm sorry I stepped on what you were saying, but you just triggered that. It's my favorite, absolute favorite thing. You microdose, you know, take a little bit and you go on a nature hike. And I can do that for hours, listen to music while I do it. It's my favorite thing to do. And, and you think it's just because everything is a little bit enhanced and, and you're able to see things that you normally might not see in your right. It's just the appreciation and the communion Connection. with nature, yeah. feeling uh, integrated with the environment, mm. just all of that. Yeah. And appreciating the intricacies and uh, just, yeah, it's just uh, the appreciation and stimulation. In 1970, I soon went off to college uh, at Penn. <laughs> Uh, so, Len, you're familiar. I mean, yes, it's I am. a very urban environment, not a great place to be too high. <laughs> I, I went to Temple, so North Philly. I, I can get yeah, it. West Philly, it. North Philly. Yeah, go. and also, it wasn't the safest place in the world at that right. time. But, you know, we we managed to have a good time. But, yeah, what I liked best was getting out in the nature. Hmm. Yeah, I would say that, uh, you know, walking around West Philly, is not a lot of nature. Uh, <laughs> you got to go to the Poconos. <laughs> you got to you got to watch yourself around uh, every corner. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean that's just an, such an amazing thing. And uh, what what Ethan was uh, saying before with the high THC mercine dominant, you have these, uh, well, you know, people refer to as a you know indica dominant. That that's really what you're you're getting these kind of experiences, and it's very very difficult to connect because you can consume a little too much of that and now it deters you from wanting to go walk in nature you just want to sit on the couch and eat chips and uh, i i definitely think that i'll kind of refer to it as either microdosing or find the right formulation that is uh, just enough uh, thc and a different terpene profile that connects to you and now when you find that that's your go-to the challenge with that is now we get into you know, the strain names is a, we know, we know we don't lose, use strains, but the strain names. So you go, you find your blue dream. Okay. My blue dream is perfect. That's exactly my profile. Then you go into dispensary. Number two, you get the same blue dream and it's no longer a blue dream. It's something else. So we got to get out of this whole naming thing of these, uh, chemo bars and that. Yeah. Stuff. Show, show me the chemical profile. Exactly. You know, let's see. A certificate of analysis, and then I'll tell you what what you've got and what it might be good for. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So, final question, bonus questions, like a fun one. <laughs> Please describe your room growing up, if you remember what it looked like. Well, there were parental influences. Um, I switched <laughs> rooms when my brother went off to college, but. Uh-huh. Uh, most of the time I was sharing a room with my younger brother. Um, this is an old house in Massachusetts built in like 1824. Uh, so there was a lot of wallpaper. Um, uh, boy, that's uh, that's a weird and tough question. Yeah. Did, yeah, you, have, did you have posters? Did you have posters in your room? Or maybe when you switch rooms with your brother, did you, uh, again, did you have were... a Grateful Dead poster? Oh, like a yeah, blacklight? My college was very different. Your room in college, yeah. Like yeah. posters and uh, such, yeah. <laughs> it's it's an interesting thing because when we ask people this question, like, you know, a lot of people don't remember. And some people, oh, I had, I was a big, you know, Van Halen fan. So I had Van Halen posters or I was a big uh, centerfold from High Times or or uh, like, uh, you know, Playboy centerfolds or, or nothing. Or my parents created my room and that's it. I didn't touch anything. I never put anything on the walls. So it's interesting to see because you kind of get to connect 
with a person as a, as they're growing up and have them kind of go back in time. Would you, did you stay in the dorms when you were in Penn? Uh, yeah, I was uh, in the freshman quadrangle, which was like, uh, you know, old uh, English architecture and may have been gargoyles and stuff. <laughs> it was sort of a weird place. Uh, second year, I was in what was called Superblock, which at one time was the uh, th- set of three, the tallest reinforced concrete structures in the world for a time. And I, that was in a communal living arrangement on one floor. We actually got credit for living together. Uh, <laughs> that's a whole other story. <laughs> and it was it like one bathroom in the hall that everybody had to share? No, it was separate, separate uh, rooms. Uh, generally, three people. Um, and then um, my third and last year at Penn, uh, I was in a house with close friends, which was really cool. We had communal dinners, and yeah, it was very tight and fun. I remember when I was in Temple, I didn't live on on campus I had an apartment and my friends had an apartment off campus and North Philly is not the safest friendliest. I, I don't know how it is now. I've been out of Philly for the last 15 years. Oh boy. It's a place changed more than Philadelphia. It, it changed it really a lot. Change? And it, it, it changed a lot. It got gentrified still, sort of. And Oh, well beyond that, I mean, it used to be a food desert. Oh yeah. The food. Now, uh, they've got incredible food in downtown Philadelphia. Absolutely um, agreed. Yeah. Steven Starr, and uh, I, I don't drop names, but he was one of the originators of the kind of on the food scene, open up a whole bunch of restaurants or gourmet. Uh, Marimoto, uh, the Iron Chef, if anybody knows, he opened his first restaurant in Philly. So Philly is definitely that foodie place. But as far as safety goes, like I went to high school originally, uh, this uh, school called High School of Engineering and Science. It was located on 17th and Norris. If anybody, I'm going to try to paint a picture. So we were bused into the school. It had barbed wire all around <laughs> and it had crack houses everywhere. So we walk out at recess and uh, we're not allowed to go outside the fence. So we're around and then I see this old caddy pull up. And there's two guys that get out and they run in with baseball bats and they pull a guy out and they're beating him with baseball bats right in front of our school. We're witnessing this. And this happened multiple times over and over. And when I went to Temple, which is not far from where I went to high school, uh, right off Broad Street in North Philly, this girl that I was dating, she decided to switch from Penn State to uh, to go to Temple uh, so she can be close to me. And she parked on, uh, I remember, Diamond Street. I told her, I was like, hey, be careful where you park. And she went to walk by herself. And the first day she went to Temple, she got mugged. Purse stolen and changed. Great. That, that was... Uh, that was my Those are the old days. Ethan, thank you so much. Where can people find more about you, Credo, anything else uh, on social media, so, anything else? They, uh, you know, well, there's about? a ton. I mean, if people just Google my name, they'll get hundreds of pages of drug-related material. <laughs> but uh, the website is Credo, C-R-E-D-O-Science.com. Great. Uh, CredoScience.com. Um ethanrusso.org has my writings perfect great well, looking Ethan, forward and so yeah, great to looking meet forward you. to uh some more things together i think this is going to be a great year we're going to be doing some incredible things and i i'm so grateful and so appreciative to actually be connected with you and call you a friend because you you actually confirm that <laughs> so thank you <laughs> thank you for doing so and uh yeah i think can i be your friend too well yeah. we'll have to have a few more conversations <laughs> 
Yeah, one more, John. Come on, it's the first yeah, it's one. A first date. You gotta hold hands. First date. Yeah. You gotta get a little bit deeper in. I but, uh, yeah, thank friend. you so much, and and really thank you for all the work that you've done in uh, this industry throughout. And I am I'm super super grateful uh, to be working together and uh, you know helping people make a difference with this uh, amazing plant. So you thank bet. you so much. Namaste. Namaste. Wow. Yeah, another man. really interesting guest. Where do you find these people? I, how do you how do you meet these people just in your in your circle of you know, influence? It's interesting you say that. I just had a conversation with uh, one of my friends who's a, who's an owner of a large uh, cannabis company and he's mentioning, "Hey, this and that." I'm like, "I know this person." I know. He goes, "You know everybody." I don't know everybody, but this is one thing that I'm really good at. And I'm, if anybody, if I can share this with the audience, it's about being a person of your word and follow up and follow through. Mm. And I think that's where, and I learned this from a mentor many years ago when I was uh, in commercial real estate, somebody said, most realtors don't pick up the phone. They let it go to voicemail and there was a, and, and they don't fight for the first lead. And you have a 50% better chance of getting an opportunity if you're the first to respond. So I would go to the person who's answering the phones in the office and I would say, I don't care what time it is. If there's a phone call, patch it to me. Yeah. And I would also be first. So follow up and follow through. So I believe like, just like being able to be a person who's accountable helps with, uh, you know, getting these relationships and uh, being there for people, uh, coming with contribution and not asking anything in return. And when there is an opportunity to do that, you can ask. Right. Like, and it's not awkward because you've established a, a not a transactional I, relationship with them like that. So, yeah, yeah I think so. That's, that's, that's sort of my thing. That works. I had the thing to talk about what was going on, what happened in Georgia and what happened in uh, DC. We kind of touched on it with, with Ethan about legalization, but I uh, wanted to get your thoughts on the what you think is I'm not a political guy. I just think it's it's interesting to see how things shift. I, I don't watch the news, so mm. you probably have a lot more information than I do about this. I don't watch the news. I don't know anything about I'm not a political guy. I don't know what's going on, but I see I kind of see trends and I see people saying, okay, uh, some people were saying this is white privilege. People would have been shot if this was this. And I, I was like, didn't we just have the same exact thing, but the opposite flip side of that, where people were looting and rioting on Rodeo Drive and the police moved to the side and they said, here you go. I just believe there's imbalance and then there's a correction. And I always believe sort of an ebb and flow. It's one way, then it's the other way. And I think this is what's happening in politics. And I think, you know, we had Obama that the pendulum swung this way. And then uh, we had Trump, the pendulum swung the opposite way. And in some way, somehow, we're sort of regulating and getting back to the middle again. But that, maybe that's my perception. I, I of think it. it, no, I think that seems right to me. And I think when I was watching what was happening, kind of wondering whether this was the end of something or the beginning of something, right? So to me, it felt more like the end of something. Like, yeah. The and I'm hoping, and maybe that's just wishful thinking, but it was like 
this is the end of like four years of misinformation. And I think the thing that was making me the most crazy is all the people that were saying like, I, you know, like pretending to be surprised that this happened. Like you'd have to be like in a, even if you didn't follow one day of politics, like to be surprised that this was coming. I mean, it's just so disingenuous. I mean, this was always the plan. And Trump, Trump like telegraphed it from miles away that this was going to happen. I I am confused about wh- why it was so easy for them to get into the Capitol. Um, but I don't also want to propagate like conspiracy theories like, oh, there was a bunch of like white nationals working for the Capitol Police that like let them in and they're all in on. Because to me, that's just as bad as the other side that makes up. Yeah, but didn't that happen in Portland? Didn't the same thing happen in Portland? Where they just let them take over? Yeah, sometimes the, they let people. I mean, over. sometimes as part of the policing, it's like they don't want to. They don't want the, you know, again, I'm not a police guy, so I really can't wait on this, but I get the impression that they don't want to, you know, like just let, as long as they're not damaging like property and stuff, like let them, and they also don't want to be photographed, like beating up people with batons and stuff like that. Right. But then that always ends up happening anyway. And it it is true. Like, let's face it. I do feel like they dealt with some of the Black Lives Matter protests a little bit differently, but at the same time, I don't want to get into here there because I don't think that was really the point. I do think that it was inevitable, but I'm hoping that it's not really the where the country is. I know a lot of people are there. I know that there are. But when they say like, oh, 70 million people voted for Trump, I don't think 70 million people would have like climbed the Capitol's walls. And, you know, I, do, I still think that's a small minority. And I think I just like on the left, there's a small minority of Antifa, whatever it is. I'm somewhat optimistic. In some ways, it's it's accelerating all this stuff that has been so frustrating for many of us who do follow politics. It's just shining such a bright spotlight on the problems. I don't know what we're going to do. I mean, I was surprised yeah. a bit that some of the people in Congress still voted to not recognize the electoral college votes. And, you know, even after all that, but, you know, they're politicians and it's pretty twisted. Um, hopefully we'll still be alive. <laughs> this, this won't be discovered by somebody who's fought, who's dis, who's going through the nuclear holocaust and yeah. finds a, a lost tape. But yeah. as far but I do I mean I'm optimistic about like I said with Dr. Russo like you know the Democrats have a tall order in front of them but as far as cannabis they really could make some serious impacts in these 2 years. Yeah. I just don't know how much of a you know he's a real moderate Biden and yeah. And I agree. I think we're we're sort of moving more towards the center anyway yeah. in the world, in the country. Yeah. Again, and he, he was a, he was a super anti cannabis guy, but he's changed. He evolved. He's changed, and and you know what? Ultimately, it depends on the people that he puts around him, right. uh, To make the decision, and I, you know, we're two white guys, so I'm not qualified in any way to talk about you know what the Black Lives Matter and how how the different uh, changes. Uh, and I've talked about these stories before. I definitely believe that there is a power thing. And because when I got arrested several times, I was treated differently the different times that I was arrested. This color of my skin didn't change. It was the same every single time. But the interaction that I had was pretty much the same because I always felt like I don't want to add you know, fuel to the fire. I already know the situation. My hand, whatever you tell me to do, I am doing because I don't want to get beat up by cops mm-hmm. uh, regardless. Of, and I'm not getting racial profile. I'm not getting any of that stuff. I understand all that. But there is there's a human element to that connection where somebody can say, you're doing something wrong. We're going to give you due process. And maybe it's because I, of my color, uh, color of my skin, where I get the opportunity. And then the other time, the same exact situation, 
but there was excessive force that's being used. It didn't come from me. My energy wasn't different, but the energy that I received was different. So I, I definitely believe that there is that whole power thing where just some people in that position shouldn't be in that position, should be retrained in that position and completely take a different approach to their police power. Your power is to serve me and to protect. It's not about to insert your power that you may have, whatever is going on in your life, to be able to use that against me. That's not the... Right. The, and again, we can go back and forth because I feel like if there were images of like a black person sitting in Nancy Pelosi's office with his feet up on her desk, like, oh my God, the, the reaction to that, I feel like would have been oh, yeah, uh, of a lot different. And so there is a double standard, but I also think by dwelling sure. on that particular part of the issue, it kind of takes away from the real issue, which is like, those guys were a mob, that was a terrorist act, and yes. it wasn't handled well. And I think a lot of people are going to get fired, hopefully. Yeah for that. I'm hoping that a lot of those people that have them all on tape, a lot of these people that we saw in those images, like that freaking guy dressed like a, like a, uh, like a, with his weird uh, a Viking, Viking horns and his, and his yeah. Chewbacca uniform. I mean, standing on the podium, like if that guy isn't in jail, I'm, I give up. Like if this was a, a black or brown person that right. was doing that, I mean, the media, everybody would have a field day. Oh my God, you know, terrorists and T, what, yeah. whatever you want to say. The, the headlines are, I've gotten so many memes about uh, this is what happens when Burning Man is canceled. Yeah, and right. the guys just right. Burn. Everybody thinks it's funny, right? It's suddenly it's not funny. scary it's or not threatening, fun. and, and it's, it's not, not funny, funny because not, that guy. I mean, there was guys with Auschwitz shirts in that and Camp Auschwitz. Exactly. Did you see all that? I, I mean, those yeah, guys it, are messed. That is not a funny like. I've never been to Burning Man, but I'm sure that crowd could not be further from the Burning Man crowd. No, um, that's all love. Yeah, like, exactly. So, you know, I, like, you know, those are bad, bad people. And those are the people that really are the core of Trump's following, in my opinion. Yeah. So, you know, I know a lot of people vote for him that are people that I like. I, I, I work with a lot of them. I was surprised they were – somebody said to me who I talked to yesterday who voted for – I'm like, well, you vote for Trump. And she's like, yeah, but I didn't vote for that. Well, well of course you vote yeah. for that. That's always what it's been. <laughs> I don't know what the hell you're talking about. How can you separate the two? I, I, I had know. a very similar conversation with somebody <laughs> very, close, yeah. very close to me, and uh, they were very upset. So I asked, what are you upset about, the election results? Or what is what are you upset about? And uh, the answer was – upset about the election results in Georgia and that a woman got killed. That was what they were upset about. The woman got killed. I mean, the woman got killed. I've seen the footage. She was rushing. You know, she probably shouldn't have been killed, but she was rushing a... Uh, and they probably, you know, it's, again, if it was a black woman, I don't I don't think they would have been upset. But anyway, that's just my opinion. I, You know, it was a vet. She happened to be a vet from San Diego. She was rushing a uh, security um, checkpoint with like where the where the people go through like the um, yeah. metal detector, and yeah. I think people got scared. You know, look at that point, nobody knew what the hell was going on, yeah. and she was trying to like break into it. Anyway, that was such a fiasco on so many levels that security. How I will never understand how it's a Capitol building. The Capitol building. Capitol building. Right. I've been there, and I can tell you the security is super, super, super tight. I, I mean, and it just like, makes you think, like, time. can you imagine if a terrorist, like real terrorist with a real agenda, like went in there? Yeah. Like, well, that's why I think this yeah. was, a, it, it seemed like an inside it, job somewhat. But anyway, yeah, we might know someday. Maybe, maybe we'll out. know. I mean, there's definitely some footage. My son kept showing me things of like, you know, just watching the cops kind of open the, 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 uh, yeah, 
come on in. It's open. Come on in. Yeah. It, it's funny. We'll, we'll find out when they release the alien footage, then sets more. We'll find out about what's happening there too. Right. Right. Yeah. Joe Rogan invited the aliens to come in now. This is a perfect time. Come on in. So right. I, we wanted to do a show on sample albums. So I wanted to kind of do a preface to the show. I found this blog and uh, there was a bunch of different people that were uh, talking about. Uh, and so they did the top 10 sample based albums. I'm going to go over it with you. I'm going to get your thoughts. So you ready for this? Mm -hmm. uh, do you have a, a sound effect? Yeah, here we go. I got to really get some new sound effects, don't I? By the way, there we go. I stepped on your sound effect. <laughs> and he, yes, I'm ready. <laughs> what, okay. what shirt do you have on? I forgot. I see I'm, Wild I'm wearing Wild Streets. I went to an incredible graffiti exhibit sort of a, a retrospective graffiti exhibit when last uh, when i was in brooklyn a few years ago i think 2019 it was in uh, williamsburg and it was probably the best yeah. graffiti exhibit or hip-hop sort of thing i've ever seen it was unbelievable it was oh, just man. an entire building had been taken over where they basically had like pictures of you know subways from the 70s but they also had like original artwork from the 70s and then they had all these like they had rakim's jacket that he's wearing in the uh, you know, in one of his album covers and they yeah, had, it was just like a, back. yeah, it was just like a total tribute to hip hop culture. It was so cool. Well, what was yeah. that? Didn't Wild they Street. have that in, in they, the, um, the Geffen. Uh, yeah. What was the, the name of that other exhibit? The, the photo exhibit, the hip hop photo exhibit we talked about. Oh yeah. Yeah. The, when uh, we went to the, too. um, the, I'm looking up at the, at the Gordon parks. Uh, no, what was that? By, by, uh, CA. Yeah. So there's that photo gallery by, by the CA. They had Rakim's jacket there too. Oh, they did. Okay. So his jacket yeah. has made the rounds. It's so, in, it's in, uh, uh, where the hell are they doing the exhibit? Abu Dhabi or one of those places right now. So they moved it into the Middle East. By the way, this is reminding me, there's a very interesting documentary that PBS just put out about Keith Haring, which kind of oh. m goes over a lot of the, um, just like that era that we love so much of like early eighties, mid eighties, New York, um, and I the hip hop Keith and that sort of intersection yeah. between hip hop and art at that time. And I knew nothing about Keith Haring, so I recommend it a lot. It's Yeah, he was hitting up trains. Yeah, he was hitting up trains, but it was all like performance art and there was yep. people, you know, and he was very into sharing his art. He was he was kind of like the original Banksy. He was like yeah. all into public art and yep. that wasn't really happening before him. I mean, there was happening in the graffiti world, but he figured out a way to kind of like yeah. commercialize it somewhat from Pennsylvania, from the Amish part of Pennsylvania, like a really, really conservative. Lancaster. Yeah, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Super, exactly. super Amish. Um, all right. So yeah, hit me up with the samples. Right. I should all give right, credit. So Have you ever heard of the, for, for those listening, I'm about to give you a secret weapon, but it is so interesting. The whosampledwhat.com. Oh yeah. Yeah. That is one of my favorite websites. I love it. It's just, if you ever wonder, where did that, where did I recognize that song? I use it all the time. I use it all the time too. And you know, it's it's funny because I, I started looking up Kanye songs. Mm. I think he does a masterful job in using samples and he uses a lot of house music samples. Yeah. So he must have been like- He's from Chicago, music. right? I mean, right. makes sense. Chicago house. Yeah. Jimmy Beltram, all those guys. By the way, I'm wearing a- uh, Oh, yeah. A Run the Jewels shirt. Oh, I love that. Wow. That's cool. Yeah, that's dope. Run the, Run the Jewels is my current favorite hip hop Killer group, Mike. I guess. Yeah, and LP, LP and Killer Mike. Amazing. I highly, highly recommend their stuff is uh, amazing. They have a, a show on HBO 
a, like a little concert show. So I highly recommend if anybody wants to see live hip hop, incredible. All right, ready for the top 10 samples. Okay. So number 10, we have Me Beat Manifesto, Storm the Studio. I don't know it. You know, who's the artist? Artist is Meat Beat Manifesto. No, so I Meat don't. Manifesto. It is like if you remember, like Skinny Puppy, Front Two Four Two, all those sort of uh, industrial type of bands. Uh, they are one of those, and they use a ton of samples, like James Brown. They use Chemical Brothers, uh, uh, Renegade Soundwave, Jack Dangerous, etc. So that's number ten in uh, nineteen eighty-eight. Uh, so I would say that's early industrial. Number nine, by the way, this album, I, I didn't know either. There was some that I don't know. This one is the band called Plug, P-L-U-G, mm. drum and bass for Papa. Okay. 1996. Wow. These are yeah. sample only records? The category is the 10 classic albums of sample based music. Okay. This is using samples and the best use of samples top 10. So they used, uh, yeah, there was a bunch of samples, but it's drum and bass music. If you listen to it, it's very interesting. There a lot of melodic drum and bass. Yeah, uh, now you're making me want to go back and, and listen to all this. It's kind of a uh, weird list share. because you could basically, well, well, we'll get into the whole thing. Because you basically say like any hip hop record that came out before 1989 was basically a sample record, right? Because they were just using samples. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll get to that. <laughs> yeah. We'll get to that list. I, I know what's coming like, soon. Yeah, I can feel it coming. So uh, next is uh, African Bombada and the Soul Sonic Force. Of course, Planet Rock. Planet Rock. Okay. Everybody knows Planet Rock. And uh, the Trans Euro Express was the big sample there. That was uh, so revolutionary. So they were basically taking stuff that was coming out of Europe, craft work, and then exactly. bringing it to the New York New York hip hop. I mean, so revolutionary. I don't think people give that record enough credit. Yeah. I mean, the inside hip hop people do, but it's so revolutionary to take craft work. I know. And how did they find craft work? I know. Yeah. How do you find digging well, digging through know. the crates for sure? African Mamata and yeah, uh, Zulu Nation, man. Yeah. Besides all the personal stuff that he's got going on right now, uh, which uh, people can Google and look up. I don't want to okay. disparage anybody's uh, personality, but from the standpoint of music, legendary and kind of rock right there. So, uh, number seven is Jay Dilla. Donuts. Oh. 2006. I believe the entire album is pretty much uh, samples. Okay. Jay Dilla. 2006, if, too. Wow. He had to clear all yeah, those. If I remember correctly, I saw the uh, documentary about this. I think he was taking samples and he was modifying them. So there was a whole controversy because he didn't get clearance for some of them, but he said that he made it, them his own so he didn't have to. But uh, somebody can uh, correct me if I'm wrong on that. Definitely, definitely the whole album of samples. Number six, one of my favorite albums of all time, A Tribe Called Quest, Low End Theory. Yes, we've talked I, about I that. I should have wore that shirt today. And next time we'll we'll both wear our Low End Theory shirts. I don't even know if there's anything uh, really more to say about I mean, uh, what do you one. say? Like, it's the first time, well, one of the early times that people used that kind of um, bebop jazz in that way and the flow and everything just worked. It wasn't the first, yeah. but it was like the most. And also he wanted, the whole idea of low-end theory is that he wanted it to be a kind of bass to be so low that you would be like listening to it on your car stereo and it would like shake your chest. So the whole thing is <clears> mixed <throat> yeah. in, a, in a really bass-heavy way. It's cool. Yeah, we, we should just do a native tongue show, just yeah. like all of it, and talk about all the influences, like 
what it spread, the roots, and everybody else was influenced. I mean, it's such a, an yeah. amazing part of, of musical history. It's true. So number five, uh, I love this album as well. Uh, DJ Shadow, introducing. I don't know if you ever heard that album. It's an incredible album. Jay Dilla actually gave this uh, album as, as his influence. Incredible DJ Shadow album. Highly recommended. It was more of a dance type of uh, album, but it had a lot of depth to it. So mm -hmm. I definitely think everybody should listen to it. Radiohead said that it was their influence for OK Computer. Oh, wow. Well, that's all you have to say there. There you go. Uh, number four. I'm surprised at how... I thought this would be lower on the list, meaning that it would be close to number one. Beastie Boys, Paul's Boutique. That's the seminal I mean, sample. Yeah. Like it's, I think there's like, what is it? Hundreds of samples. And if you ever, there's a, there's a fantastic YouTube video that kind of, as they're playing one of the songs, they go to each sample. Yeah. Like, yeah. There, so, so exactly. I saw that. And yeah. just to give our audience an example of that, you just said hundreds of samples. So just, uh, Ryman and Steelin. So Ryman and Steelin alone has Led Zeppelin when Levy breaks, Sweet Leaf Black Sabbath, and The Clash. I mean, just that one song is using like amazing right. songs. Uh, I mean, Rick Rubin. And this day, of course, they beat the grandfather clause with that record because shortly thereafter, exactly, that would have been an impossible record to make now because of all the clearing. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. But uh, yeah, it's, and that's which is tragic because. I don't think it's theft, but that's a whole other conversation. We should get in the conversation because I was listening to Pharrell uh, talk about like his uh, the lawsuit that he lost, and he said this is the biggest thing that ever happened in his career, the most negative thing. Like he cried for days about that because he had no intention of doing that. Now I think we talked about this before when you really listen to one next to each other, there definitely is an influence. What the intent of that influence was, who the hell knows? But if you listen to all the blues songs from back in the day you can make yeah but argument. if you listen to like what's tribe called quest that samples lou reed's take a walk on the walk wild, on the wild side, side yeah right and it's um can i kick it yes you can can i kick yeah it? can yeah. i kick it i yeah. mean to me that's just a reinterpretation yes he takes he actually takes i don't even think it's a sound like i think he takes the actual baseline from yeah it's 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 lou reed's it's, it's lou one reed's of my favorite yeah yeah but the thing is he reinvents it in a way that makes it like a hip-hop beat and to me it becomes a different thing now i know lou reed was the original inventor of that and probably should get paid but it's just sad because you couldn't make that record today and it's such an important record in hip hop and not because he just is doing a karaoke version of take a walk. But you don't think Ludwig got paid? You don't think that I don't they know if I, I think he I think that? he got grandfathered in. I think, you know, there was a time it's hard to remember this, but there was a time when rap artists would just take all that content and not have to pay for it because it wasn't really mainstream yet. So you may know this and may not, but rappers delight. Right. Yeah. So Rapper's Delight is people may think of this is the first real hip hop uh, song or hit. That's good times. Right. And they had Cheap, a house right? band. And but they had a house band, right? They didn't actually take I they didn't have to, they couldn't sample back then because that wasn't a, even technology. I mean, I guess they could have had them dan uh, rap over a record. But yeah, I, mean, I don't know. They had a house band. Sugar Hill Gang, everything in Sugar Hill Gang that they did. Sugar Hill everything of Sugar Hill Records is a house band. So I had a guy is, But you they record but they used yeah. They use the music, right? yeah, yeah. And they I don't know, music. that might be different with rights because you're now not doing the public, it's like publishing versus the actual song. But right. yeah, that's how they got around at Sugar Hill Records. They would record versions of popular songs. I had a guy on my other podcast, 
that did something that was to the music of um, Pull Up to the Bumper, Grace Jones. Oh, yeah, yeah. Pull up to the bumper, baby. Yeah. Yeah. They've done Genius of Love. They've had, but they did, they redid the Genius of Love bass line. Yeah, they used to read. I always wanted to do like a whole podcast just on that band that used to play all that stuff for them. They had this band that would come in. Yeah, I'm curious. We need to get somebody who's an expert in this. I'm just so curious because if you play somebody else's song and you use it as the bass line for a different song, do you have to pay that band? Or only if you use the exact you have to sample. Pay publishing, man. I don't know. I and this is a question sad because my friend Adam would have known the answer to this in one phone call. But I no, my friend Sam Hollander. We'll bring him on. He'll t- he'll okay. school us on it. Yeah. Oh, we have we. Ha- I think we have somebody coming on from uh, that's a, that's a record executive. So maybe okay. I have a songwriter friend Sam Hollander who's written Perfect. some big songs. Yeah, because I'm curious because you, you're thinking about like uh, songs like uh, Stan Eminem, right? Yeah. He used Dido's uh, "Thank You." He gave her credit. She was on the... Uh, yeah, they know, worked that out. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I guess she's just... It's not a sample. or I, I don't even know yeah. how that works. That works. All right. Um, number three. Public Enemy. It takes a nation of millions to hold, hold us, us back. back. 1988. My absolutely favorite uh, Public, Public Enemy. Enemy record. Yeah, right. that was the best. That's yeah. one of my uh, hip-hop karaoke uh, songs. Uh, Bring Noise. Yeah, and some... <laughs> Oh, really? I mean, they, uh, yeah. Paid, they, paid in Full is my go-to. So I, I know all the lyrics of Paid in Full. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> I want to be there for that. Well, so this is, what did they say? It was Takes a Nation? Or which one is uh, the one they said? Yeah, it, it Takes a Nation. Yeah, That's the one? Yeah, that had Bring the Noise on it. Don't Believe the Hype. That's, yeah, that's the one. Yeah. Don't Believe the Hype, that's a sequel. <sighs> okay, so. Uh, Rebel Without and, a uh, All right, number two, also one of my favorite albums. I mean, this, this top Eight, whatever yeah. the first two were kind of shaken. These are amazing. De La Soul, Three Feet High, and Rising. Yes, we've talked about that. A, a record that's been banned on streaming services because they didn't. I mean, <laughs> that seems racist awesome. to me. Somehow Paul's Boutique is okay, like I'm sure. but It got under the ground. Yeah, I think, I think that was the difference. Is that somebody started to sue. It was the Turtles. We've talked about this. but It's the Turtles. It's, it's exactly that. I'm reading yeah. it now as I'm looking through it. It's the Turtles. The Turtles right. were the first lawsuit, and then it just went down, and then nobody you know, wanted to touch it yeah. anymore. But then P. Diddy sampled so I don't, I don't understand how that even... Yeah. Is, and what about if you sample a sample? Yeah. That's what he did. He sampled a sample. <laughs> he sampled, right, exactly. <laughs> and he was like, I, I can get away with it. Right. All right. The number one album, you have to agree to this probably because it is the most unique way to use samples that I've ever heard. It's the Avalanches. Oh, good. I left you. Because if, if they had left that off, I would have maybe hung <laughs> it's up. It's number the phone. one. Yeah, it's I number know, one. I, know. I was waiting. I was waiting for. <laughs> you just wanted to number leave one, meeting. Un- John has reveal. left the meeting. All right. That is probably in my top 10, top five favorite albums of all time, The Avalanches. Uh, well, since it's just such up. a unique. It just, I don't know if people uh, actually realize the complexity. You ha- I don't even it's know. It's like a masterpiece. It's, it's taken so many different pieces of samples and making songs from these samples. And there's not an original, I don't think there's an original thing in the entire record, but it's not like just a bass and like a drum beat. Like it's complex musical compositions completely made up of samples that are samples you've never heard. Like it's not, there's no samples on there that, I think there's a there's a Madonna sample is the only sample on there yeah. that is kind of well known. But everything else is, is like just some random thing they found in like a record store. Yeah, you know? and it's really hard to even identify because yeah. they even have samples of comedy records. Yeah. They take bits and pieces of all that stuff. That I mean, stuff. it's 
My Son is Obsessed. I, you know, that is a record that I probably listened to like when it first came out. I would just listen to it over and over and over. and over. I, I can't. And that's a record you have to listen to the whole record. It's almost like it wouldn't even work now because the way music is consumed now is sort of by song and not by album. And it really only kind of works all together. It's all tied together. It's like this opus, yeah. like a 60-minute like masterpiece. Anyway, I love it. They're freaking Australian. I mean, where the hell do they come from? They just... It's like the Bee Gees who just like decided to like re- reinvent disco. I mean, it's just like they just came out of nowhere and it was like, what the hell is this? I don't think people know. Like, I, I definitely think a lot of people haven't heard. They're a little bit under the radar. They had a, an album apparently that came out this year, but I don't think they've ever been able to match the first one. It, it's just such a masterpiece. I, I would love to hear the thought process and how they put it together because it must have been like putting a humongous puzzle together. They actually missed something, and I'm going to play it as my surprise, did you hear? Okay. Because okay. now that I realize that we're doing this, I, I just looked it up, and I'm, they missed a, a really important record in the sampling world. It wasn't. I don't even know if you can buy it, the one I'm about to play you. I know I know you can hear it on YouTube, so we'll get there. Well, they, they did, and there was a they lot. They missed some I think I wanted to maybe even have a follow-up show and talk about things because I ma- started making my list. I'm like, yeah, I want to hear what you, yeah, and, I, and even and even songs, like even talking about songs. That's why I had like so I started creating my list, just songs in general, Ghetto Boys. Like, the, yeah, it's kind an of an arbitrary album. list because how could yeah. you have, like I said, anything before sampling became illegal, like any record that came out in the ninety in the eighties that was in hip hop was pretty much a hundred percent sampled. Like nobody, yeah. there was no people playing instruments back in those days. It was samples right. of drum beats. And so it's so arbitrary. I mean, I, I appreciate them trying to do it, but it's like, how could you not have, like you said, the Ghetto Boys? How could you not have Rockham and Eric B? Rockham. I mean, they everything in their record is sampled. There's the Run DMC live thing that they did. That has been sampled more than anything. But you know what that's a sample from? Do you mean the, here we go, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Here, isn't, it, here, here, here we go. isn't it them? Isn't it them saying it live? It's them saying it live, but the drum beat in the background is um, Billy Squire, Big Beat. Uh, oh, yeah, 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 a, yeah. You know, it's a classic, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But that sample, that sample has been used here in like go. 150 different hip hop songs. Yeah. It's been used so many times. As much as Funky Drummer has been used as a baseline in, in hip hop songs, that track and so they left a lot off. Yeah, they, yeah. There's, I have much to, you know. I, in fact, I might write them after we get off. I'm pretty pissed. <laughs> I'm pretty pissed right now. I can, I can tell. I'm yeah. sure there was a lot of comments if they opened up the comments. I'm sure there was a lot of hate on that Dude, one. You can move off and look at Daft Punk. I mean, yeah. the amount of samples, the, the amazing samples that Daft Punk use, harder, uh, better, faster, all that stuff. So l- l- we should do a show about our list. And then share our list and see what's missing there. But they got pretty good. I mean, some of the things. No, and, and I'm very interested. The, the the higher up on the list, there were the the lower numbers, higher numbers. I don't know, whatever the ten nine. I don't even know those records. So then then they're yeah. getting. It's pretty geeky when it gets to those ten and nine. So I'll I'll look into Meat Beat Manifesto and Front Two Four Two Man, which I used to like back in the day. Have you heard? This is a special edition. Um, it is. Well, you go first because I'll end it with my one of my favorite sampled okay. records. 
I want to share this because I think it's timely and I want to get your feedback on some of the hate around this record, which I don't understand. Say these bars are like COVID. You get them right off the bat. Infected with SARS and Corona. Like you took a bite off of that. Then it goes from Martian to human. That's how the virus attacks. They come at me with machine guns. Like trying to fight off a net. Still stacking my chips, hoes. Higher than Shaq on his tiptoes. Top the empire, state building. This shit is like child's play children. I will not annihilate, kill them. I fuck around and pile. Eight million dead little juveniles. Wait, children, I'll await my trial. Date tilting. Ain't nothing you say could ever trump. Mike Pence will get killed. If you're hypersensitive, I wasn't referencing the vice president. Chill. I mean, my penmanship at times tends to get ill. Violence, but with skill. That's why I hints when I write ends up with a mic and pencil getting killed. Yeah. And I'm still right up, die for the squad. So you know which side that I'm on if a battle line's ever drawn. But if I get involved, it'll be like canines in a bra. But that's similar to Mike Pick it off. Even if I don't have a dog in the fight, they ain't never gonna get rid of the fight. That's dope. I see I love Eminem. It gets like as it goes on, it gets uh more like uh, his his intricate and fast. Like he does his fast. He he likes he got as he got older, he got really into fast rapping. But but it is kind of like his skill level is so incredible that, you know, at a point. Incredible. Yeah. The rhymes, first of all, he's telling a story. And I, I don't want to disparage any modern today's rapper. The, the mumble, but they all suck. I, can't under- I don't want to disparage all of them, but <laughs> they suck. <laughs> no, Travis no. Scott. I think Travis no, I- Scott. Kendra, I, I, there, there's some really great people out there. I, I, my daughter's been introducing me to a lot more. Right. So I'm open to it. But I can't understand the lyrics. And there is no story. Yeah, I love story. Even back in the day, when you listen to and over the old guys, oh, remember back in the day when it was. Yeah. But back in the day, glory days. Even when they're fighting against each other, or they're challenging, or there's bravado, there's a story. Like I can close my eyes and picture what they're saying. It's here, and there's a drive-by, and something happens. And I think M is a master at that, and being able to rhyme those stories. But he's got so much hate. If you look at that. Uh, that YouTube video, and you look at the comments, uh, hang it up, you're oh, old, annoying. you suck. Uh, it's just easy know. to hate him. You know, it's so easy. But yeah, why? it's so unfair. I don't, get it. I don't know. It, what is there to hate? I know. It's like I mean, raw skill. He always gives props to his influences. He's never appropriated it because he he's always given credit where, you know, so I, I don't get it. I mean, he's so skillful. He's a legend. I can't believe he's still going. You know, they don't give Snoop hate and Snoop has been around forever. And, you know, I don't he's get it. He's still going. He's, and he's creative and he's still yeah. creating new music. But here's the last thing I'll say about it. Watch The Art of Rap, mm-hmm. which is uh, Ice-T's documentary where he goes out and interviews people. There's a, there's a part of that where people can, the, the he's got people freestyling. Yeah. And just listen. Because that to me, it's not a cipher necessarily, but it's a one, you're off the bat, bam, you got a freestyle. Listen to the way Eminem does it versus other people. And there's some really good ones. And just hear the skill because that's the real skill. When you're uh, off the cuff and you're able to freestyle like that and, and rhyme really complicated rhymes or really complicated words in the pocket, I mean, that's skill that's uh, very, very hard to match. And anybody who understands hip hop will put him in that Mount Rushmore top five, top 10. Absolutely. So right. I don't know where the hatred comes from. I think people, like people love to hate, especially the high, the bigger you get, the bigger on a, you know, he was huge for a while and yeah. people love to knock down the, and I guess he's done some fucked up things in his life, but yep. 
not to warrant the hate he gets. So I'm with you. Um, it's hard to follow up him. I mean, this is not on that kind of caliber of artistry, but we're just talking about sampling. And um, there was a guy, uh, Steinsky and Double D. Do you know Steinsky and Double D? So no. back in the day, in the 80s, there was an advertising executive. I think he worked for like Steinsky. He worked for some sort of big advertising agency, but he was also a huge hip hop fan. And sort of as a hobby, he made these records that were like tributes to hip hop. And it were called the history of hip hop, the history of hip hop one, the history of hip hop two, and the history of hip hop three. And mm -hmm. they are sample based. And he basically, I mean, I guess you could say they're like party records in that they basically combine all these different hip hop things into one, you know, continuous mix of like 20 minutes. And they're incredible. And, and they're like, they're, they're just amazing. And what's happened now is he's gotten, it's so legendary among the hip hop community that now DJs will do it live. Like he did it all taped. The whole thing is no like live DJing. It's all like mm -hmm. cutting and editing, but he, people will do it live. Like great DJs like Shadow or whatever will do it live to like replicate what he did. So I'm going to play it for you now. I'm going to play you lesson two because it's one of my favorite lessons. This is called the James Brown mix. And we'll pay it for a few minutes, and you you will. Re and I really recommend that you guys listen to Steinsky and Double D. But here's a uh, lesson two. Denote. We take you to the Hotel Martinet in Brooklyn, where Bobby Millet and his orchestra are offering a program of dance music. Lesson two. I like to know: Are you really ready for some super dynamite soul? Introducing the world's greatest entertainer, Mr. Dynamite, the amazing Mr. Please Please himself, the hardest working man in show business. Ladies and gentlemen, the star of the show, James! Brown, 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 Brown. Get up, get on up, get up, get on up, stay on the scene, get on up, like a sex machine, get on up. Wait a minute. Fuck it. Yeah. Fuck it. Yeah. Fuck, fuck, fuck it. Yeah, yeah. Fuck, fuck it. Ah! Ah! I thought I got a pretty cat. So that was Double D and Steinsky. I see it. I guess it is on uh, iTunes. So I guess they allow it to be on iTunes because there's not one thing that's he wrote on that. But he just went together and he uses clips from like movies and he's got like Bogart in there. And then he has like Bugs Bunny. But he, it's just fun. It's he's just, got some Tweety. He's got, got some, some uh, Tweety in there. Harry. And then, yeah, the first one is really good. The first one is Lesson One. Yeah, I, I just they're great. I mean, I could listen to them all day long and that he even did a lesson let the first lesson one two and three are the ones that he did in the 80s then back by popular demand like a few years ago he came up with lesson four not as good little disappointing yeah. lesson four it's hard to beat lesson one two and three but it is a history of hip-hop 
Well, um, the only history of hip hop that I was aware of is the one that Jimmy Fallon does with uh, Justin Timberlake. <laughs> oh yeah, that's fantastic. <laughs> if you ever watched yeah, them that, do that, that's thing. really brilliant. That's something. If we could rap, we would have done that, but unfortunately, we oh can't. yeah, exactly. They have like the <laughs> same that. love for hip hop that we do, but they could actually do it. Yeah. Well, maybe one time we will do our own karaoke versions of. I mean, I always do Rapper's Delight because I can do the whole 15 minutes of Rapper's Delight. All right. So uh, you'll do Rapper's Delight. And you'll I'll do Paid in Full. I'll do Paid in Full. So that's what you do is when you go up and do your karaoke, what's the one you said you go to? I, I mean, Paid in Full is definitely one of them. Thinking and, uh, of a master bring, plan. Bring in, then nothing but sweat inside <laughs> yeah. my hand. I dig in my pocket all the money. <laughs> And then uh, I, and I've done, I've done, it takes two, but it takes two is exhausting. I I've tried to do it takes two and it's like, I can just do the, I can just do the background for you. And bring the noise is another one. Oh, you do bring the noise, bring the noise, but the anthrax version, the anthrax. Yeah. That's the better one. And then uh, I'll do some Beatles. I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a great singer, but it, it depends on the on the crowd. I'll do I like to do Guilty. I like to do a duet with my wife of Barbara Streisand and Barry Gibb, oh, Guilty. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good <laughs> um, Anyway, that's my that's my Barry Gibb. Well, what a good show. You got everything. You got samples and you got Dr. Russo. Thank you so much. Until we meet again. We need a sign off for you. Like, until we meet again, this is Len May reminding you. <laughs> May. It's uh, like a Venus flytrap from WKRP in right. Cincinnati. Many to be May. real and keep to remember not everything <laughs> is bad, but everything yeah. is personal. Like but that. everything is personal. Yeah. Peace. Peace. Thinking of a master plan. Cause ain't nothing but sweat inside my hand So I dig into my pocket, all my money spent So I get deep up, still coming up with lint So I start my mission, leave my residence Thinking how could I get some dead presidents I need money, I used to be a stick-up kid So I think of all the devious things I did I used to roll up, this is a hole up Ain't nothing funny, stop smiling You still don't nothing move but the money But now I learn to earn cause I'm righteous I feel great, so maybe I might just search for a nine to five. If I strive, then maybe I stay alive. So I walk up the street, whistling this, feeling out of place, cause man, do I miss a pen and a paper, a stereo, a taper. Me and Eric being a nice big plate of this, which is my favorite dish, but without no money, it's still a wish. Cause I don't like to dream about getting paid, so I dig into the books of the rhymes that I made. So now it's a test to see if I got pulled. Hit the studio, cause I'm paid in full. Akim, check this out. Yo, you go to your girl's house and I go to mine, cause my girl is definitely mad cause it took us too long to do this album. Yo, I hear what you're saying, so let's just pump the music up and count our money. Yo, but check this out. Yo, Eli, turn the bass down and just let the beat keep on rocking. And we outta here. Yo, what happened to Peace? Peace, 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 peace. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Are you looking for the next great cannabis business to invest in? Then you need to check out the MJ Bulls podcast. Hi, I'm Dan Humston 
Join me each week as I speak to both cannabis entrepreneurs who are raising capital and cannabis investors who are investing capital. Our 10-minute episodes are perfect for the busy investor. Start listening to the MJ Bulls podcast today, wherever you listen to podcasts, and who knows, maybe you'll discover the next cannabis unicorn.